You can find today's reading in the Pew Bibles on page 1033. It starts at Luke chapter 6, verse 1, page 1033. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked round at them all and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Thank you, Caroline. Good uh, morning, everybody. Good to be with you on a what? See, it's quite a gloomy day. It's good to be with you as God's people and to read God's word together. Um, I wonder uh, what you consider as things that don't go together. Um, things that don't go together, we often think maybe of oil and water. They don't go together, do they? They don't mix. Maybe uh, Apple and Microsoft have had some frustrations with that in the past. They don't seem to mix very well. Um, toothpaste and orange juice doesn't sound very good. They don't mix very well. Uh, tin foil in a microwave oven. Anyone experience that? <laughs> it doesn't work very well. Things that don't go well together. Um, Chapter 5 ends, we didn't have it read, but it ends um, with Jesus showing how the new kingdom, the new kingdom is incompatible with the old ways. Um, Just as new cloth, as it talks about the end of 5, pulls away from old garments and new wine bursts uh, old wineskins, the new incompatible with the old. And so today in our reading, we're going to see just how incompatible the good news of Jesus is with the old way of religion, with the old way of religion. Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we, as we begin. Our God, our Father, thank you for your word 
to us this morning and we pray that it would really refresh us, restore us, that we would indeed be drawn together to see your son Jesus more clearly and see how he affects our life. In his name we pray. Amen. So there's two incidents. Uh, First, uh, Jesus Disciples, they're picking some ears of um, corn on the Sabbath. uh, And then Jesus, in full view of everyone, heals a man with a shriveled uh, hand. And it's done on the Sabbath. And uh, both were considered by the religious leaders um, as unlawful. That was unlawful to do. The law required um, you to rest one day in seven. That was called the Sabbath. Yet the religious leaders had actually added a load of other rules and specific regulations. In fact, there were 39 in all, extra ones that they had added, covering all kinds of things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. And the Pharisees, I reckon they must have been watching um, Jesus really closely, watching every move, um, watching to see if Jesus was going to mess up. uh, a bit like how, you know, the para- paparazzis, the, the, the cameramen with the long lenses uh, are watching celebrities and politicians to see if they're going to dribble their tomato ketchup down their top or, or make a, a trip up or something, whatever it might be. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're there, they're ready to pounce upon anything uh, and to pick up. Uh, and then, so they see um, Jesus' disciples picking some ears uh, of corn and they think, gotcha. We've got you. Up comes the lenses. And they ask, verse 2, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so Jesus, what does he do? He, he gives them a Bible study, doesn't he? A little quick Bible study from 1 Samuel. When David and his companions were hungry and they ate the consecrated bread, they were in need, they were starving. And so the point that Jesus is making, isn't he, that, that human need must not be subjected to the sort of old legalism. You see, God desires mercy, doesn't he? Not sacrifice. He desires kindness, not religious kind of legalism. And then in verses 6 to 8, Jesus meets um, a man with a shriveled hand. Again, the religious leaders are watching him closely. Up come the long lenses. They think they've got him uh, again. And Jesus um, knows what they are thinking and trying to catch him out. But Jesus knew what was happening. And instead of avoiding the situation, this time in full view of everyone, verse 8 says that the man... He said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So there's no no messing here, is there? That's quite provocative of Jesus to do. Um, This is very in your face. And then Jesus um, asked them his own question, his own, if you like, gotcha question. Um, In verse 9, if you look at that with me, it says, I asked you, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And what do they do? There's no answer, is there? And you kind of left thinking, how can anyone stay silent to that kind of question? You know, nobody should stay silent to that kind of question. 
And then he does exactly what the Sabbath was actually intended for. What was the Sabbath really intended for? It was really intended for restoration, for refreshment, and he heals the man with the hand. Jesus first, he gets the stony cold silence, and then at the end we're told that the religious leaders were furious. They were really angry. Um, Probably had their clipboards going down the list. Rather than rejoicing in the man's healing, they were angry. And their hearts, as it were, were shriveled as the man's hand, really. And now what's interesting, um, this account is recorded both in Matthew and in Mark as well. Um, And in Mark's account, it does talk more a little bit about how angry Jesus was. It says that he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And so it reminds us that, you know, sometimes we think, did Jesus ever get angry? Of course he got angry. And here's an example. He was very angry at their attitude. See, the day of rest was supposed to be about refreshment for the tired. It was supposed to be about replenishment for the drained. It was supposed to be about restoration when worn out. And one of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they turned it into a religion. And Christianity is not a religion, is it? And that's why those two things are not compatible, the good news of Jesus and religion, not compatible. Two ways of thinking, you see. There's two ways of being. One the old, one the new. One makes moral law into a burden, doesn't it? It makes it into a a kind of enslavement. The other... The moral law becomes a gift to us to actually bless us and to look after us and to to help us, to give us well-being, to protect us. One is religion, the other is the good news of Jesus Christ. The old and the new, and they're not compatible. Uh, One makes you kind of critical and judgmental, wagging your finger, The other gives you true freedom and delight in God's ways and his his perfect law for us. Now, um, if people today believe in a higher being, in some kind of a God, they tend, I think, to relate to that higher being, a God, by by trying to be good. And by following the code of conduct, by striving to attain the highest state of transcendence, whatever um, name we give it. If you do enough, then the higher being, the higher power, will somehow bless you and accept you. That's how, how a lot of people view religion. The basic principle of religion, then, is therefore this. If I obey, if I perform, if I achieve, then I am accepted. And Christianity is completely incompatible with that view. Because the good news of Jesus Christ is the the very opposite. It's the good news of Jesus Christ is I am accepted in Christ. I am accepted in him. And therefore, I obey and I live for him. Do you see the 
the difference is it's very, very important. Um, think about it like this. Um, the moral law, the, the Ten Commandments, for example, think about when were they given to the Israelites? At what point were they given to the Israelites? Not a trick question. They were given in the wilderness, weren't they? And, and after, it's after they had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. It's afterwards. It, it, it wasn't um, the way that they were rescued. They weren't rescued through the Ten Commandments. The law was given to bless the people, a way to express devotion to God for what he had done for them by redeeming them out of Egypt. But you see, the law was given, and it's always been given, to, to help us flourish, to give protection so that we don't fall apart, we don't overwork, we don't do too much, that we don't disintegrate. That's why the Sabbath was given. Given to restore, to replenish, to enjoy what God has done and what he'd given As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, and let's shift it to another area of life um, other than the Sabbath. I was thinking about this to show just how deceptive religion is and how incompatible it is with Christianity. I remember thinking back when I was talking to a a friend of mine, a young man, um, about what the Bible says about sex and relationships uh, and um, pointing out um, that the place for sex is within a life long, exclusive marriage between a man and a woman. And that young man said to me, he said, um, okay, that's, if that's the case, that's fine, but I want to know exactly what I can and can't do and uh, what is acceptable. Please give me a, a kind of a rundown of the do's and don'ts. Um, can I have a girlfriend? Can I hold hands? I remember having this conversation with him and he just wanted me to tell him the rules as it were, uh, so uh, in a sense, so I can be right with God. Um, and do you see what is happening? There is, a, in a way, he was on his way to becoming a little Pharisee, wanting all the little extra regulations so he could feel less anxious about what he could get away with under God. And of course, the principle of marriage is, is right. The place for sexism within, is within marriage. But it's the attitude of the heart, isn't it? The Christian is about being awash with the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ, of what he has done for each one of us. And then obedience naturally follows from it. You want to, you, to do those things. You can't help but live for him and do what he wants you to do and live for his righteous law. Because it's for your well-being. It's for human flourishing. See, the, see, just see how, I think it's really important, we see just how radical and wonderful the good news of Jesus is. Because it is incompatible with the old way of religion. And we need to, to, to be free of that. This, of course, angered the religious leaders Verse 11 says they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And what's interesting is that it wasn't just the Pharisees that were there. In, in Mark's account, it, 
it talks about the, another group of people being there with the Pharisees, and they were the Herodians. The Herodians were there at the same time, and um, in that account, it says that the Herodians were plotting with the Pharisees how to kill Jesus. And you see that in Luke as well. They come together to try and kill Jesus. And we know quite a lot about the Pharisees. Uh, they were the religious establishment. But it's just worth us moment thinking about who the Herodians were. They were more the supporters of the political elite, um, the political social class that surrounded Herod. Herod was Rome's representative in Israel. Um, and, they, and remember, they were the occupying um, superpower of the time. They were more culturally Greek. Uh, which meant that, that, that they, they were, in a sense, ideologically um, very different from the Pharisees. They were, they were very liberal in their views about all sorts of things, regarding human relationships, for example, in a very pluralistic way. And in terms of what it comes to God, they believed in many gods. You might recall John the Baptist had a run-in with Herod, um, over the fact that Herod had taken his brother's wife as his own. So you've got these Pharisees and you've got the Herodians, and normally they would just clash with each other because they had very different views about all sorts of things. Um, but here we see them, we see them coming together to plot against Jesus. And this is quite interesting, isn't it, that they should do that? See, the Pharisees put emphasis on following the rules. Um, the Herodians put emphasis on living according to what felt right. Um, as long as it didn't threaten the empire, you could almost do what you liked. And that sounds a little bit similar, doesn't it, to the way that the world in which we live in. And so this is really important for us to understand about Christianity. And I think especially if we're new to Christian, maybe you're new to it. Because what it shows us is that the good news of Jesus Christ is, is neither, on the one hand, moralism, and it's neither, on the other hand, relativism. It's neither conservative, it's neither liberal, it's neither traditional nor progressive, it is neither left nor right, if I put it politically. Neither about me doing good works to get in, to get favour with God, nor is it about me deciding what is right and good for me to be free to know God. Neither. And so much of our world is framed in this kind of way. In actual fact, when you look at these two, they're actually the same thing. Basically, it comes back to religion. I follow the rules given to me. And the other says, I follow the rules I make up for myself. You're still following rules. You're just making them up for yourself. Both ways are a way of being our own Lord and Master. Both ways are a way of being our own Saviour. And they're both the completely hostile to Jesus. They're both hostile to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the, the moralist will say, good people are in and bad people are out. And of course, we are the good ones. We will get in. And this Jesus seems to fraternize with the bad, and therefore, he must be bad. He can't possibly be good. 
On the other side, the progressives, the Herodians, will say, only through self-discovery, only by being open-minded, can I discover what is right and good. Those judgmental bigots over there are out, and of course we are the ones, the free-minded ones, who are in. And this Jesus seems holier than now. He keeps reasserting the Sabbath. He keeps reasserting marriage. He keeps reasserting all these things, and therefore he can't possibly be good. But at the centre, they're both religious. Both, they think, they are the best, the way to be accountable, to feel superior to the other. But at the centre, that's what they are. And actually, that's the default of our hearts, isn't it? When we think about it. Um, that says either I'm in charge, I can follow the rules, just give me the code, give me the book, and I'll go away and, and live out that, those rules. I'm the good. Or I can find my own path. I can live a life of self-discovery. No one tells me what's right and wrong. I can find what is good, and I will follow that way. It's still religion. Do you see, though, what happens with Jesus? Jesus is good news. And what is the good news? And it's the good news that we really need to re reassert and keep telling our hearts over and over again, because we so often default to the back to that way of thinking. What is the good news? The good news is I am a sinner. I am a failure. I have mucked up morally and spiritually, but I am saved by the grace of God, by the gift of God. I'm accepted through the free gift of forgiveness given to me in Christ, one through for me through the cross. That is it. Every day we need to wake up and, and keep saying that to ourselves. We should ask the Holy Spirit to pound our hearts with it. So when we feel anxious about something, I don't know what it is for you, when we feel anxious about a piece of work or a, a project, worried we might not live up to the standard that my employer wants, what do we do at that point? We do exactly the same thing. We get the good news of Jesus Christ out and we talk it to ourselves and realize that I can never live up to the standard but it doesn't matter what they think of me because I know Jesus Christ and what he thinks of me. And he says to me, I, you are mine, Eddie. You are mine. I've saved you. I loved you. I died for you. You're in my kingdom. You're one of my family. And I'll keep on loving you even when you mess up with this project or whatever it might be. Or maybe, you, you know, you wake up angry and disgruntled with life and how it's going. And maybe you get angry and judgmental at everyone around you. Those people in my office are so lazy. You feel superior to them. You feel like you're following the rules and living the right way. Look how hard I am working. And you need to get out the good news again, don't you? The good news of Jesus Christ that reminds you that you're a sinner, you're a failure, just like them, you've no better, and that Jesus loves them and offers the same grace to them, the gift of forgiveness. 
And as you do that, then you realize that you shouldn't be as angry or as disgruntled. Do you see, Christianity and religion, they're incompatible. And the good news of Jesus is completely different. You can't sew onto a garment the new because it will pull away. You can't pour it into the old wineskins. It makes both Pharisees and Herodians, it makes moralists and progressives come together to plot against Jesus because it threatens us. Because we have to be humble and accept the fact of who we are before Christ, that we are in desperate need of him. Why do they um, come together? Well, because of what Jesus says here in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is not, you see, doing away with the Sabbath in what he does with the healings. He's not doing away with the principle of the Sabbath. And uh, that might have pleased the Herodians and the progressives to say, oh, we we don't need to follow the Sabbath anymore. No, he's reasserting the Sabbath was made for humanity, which means, yes, Busy, busy, uh, busy people, we do, if you're a busy people person who doesn't, can't find it easy to stop, you, we need to stop. We need to rest. You can overdo it, you can burn out. But don't turn it into something that it wasn't, wasn't meant to be. It's about restoration, it's about refreshment. It's about people with shriveled hands who have a need. Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath or amending it. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, he takes us deeper here. Jesus is not just talking about physical rest. He's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about the rest for our soul, isn't he? Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of rest. I'm the source of rest. I'm the fulfillment of rest. I have come to give rest. The one... uh, day a week in a sense is like a foretaste of the rest that he can offer Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this doesn't he, he's very familiar to us, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest shall we just take a moment to be silent We can't just sit on the fence with Jesus. Jesus claims to be in charge. He he claims to be Lord of all, to be master of the universe, to be Lord of the Sabbath, of everything, of my relationships, of my workplace. How are we going to respond to the Lord of the Sabbath? Well, he tells us to come to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Father, we pray for that rest in our lives, a rest from striving and trying to follow the rules, trying to to be good enough, to be acceptable, or to come up with our own way of being right and good. 
we come before you now and accept our need simply to receive your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Father, we may, may we do that now and may we respond by following in your ways, your perfect ways, that we may flourish and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.